Welcome to the Athlete's Compass Podcast, your North Star for mastering endurance training and holistic health. Join us each week as renowned sports scientist and founder of Athletica.ai, Paul Larson, along with athlete, coach, and sports scientist Mariana Rakai, and coach and cyclist Paul Warlowski, guide you through the maze of often confusing training principles. Make sure your compass is ready. Class is now in session. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Athlete's Compass, where we navigate training, fitness, and health for everyday athletes. This week, we're asking, answering a listener question about the 80-20 tool for organizing your training time. It's a popular and widespread model that suggests that most of your training should be in zone one and two. Remember of our discussion in zones in, in episode 10, I think. And the remainder should be harder efforts in zones four and five or above your right around your threshold or above. While Dr. Steven Seiler, who is credited with creating the 80-20 model, never intended it for it to be a hard and fast rule, there are now a lot of misunderstandings around the model. So let's dig into what it is and how everyday endurance athletes should use it. And this week, we have a listener question from Navin from Texas. For age, age group triathletes with limited training time around 8 to 10 hours per week, looking to get faster, and he mentions higher FTP, is 80-20 the right training method for preseason? Specifically, if early season is focusing on sprints and Olympics, where speed is primary over endurance? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, so if it is, you know, is it optimal? It's, it's a good model uh, in the preseason. You know, one of the things usually in preseason that you want to have is you want to have, you know, you want to do that aerobic base, no question. So even in the 80-20 model, um, you know, you're going to be doing the bulk of that as building your aerobic base. And what we say, you know, when we're doing that, we say we're, you know, we're building our ability to burn fat as, as a fuel We're we're building the, the heart's capacity to, to pump blood to the, to the working muscles. And, but even having that 20% or, you know, even call it five or 10%, you want to do at least one session per week, um, you know, potentially two as a, as a little bit harder kind of work. Now there's, there's research from um, uh, Rolstad and colleagues that has shown if you do add uh, just a little bit of high intensity in your week during the base phase, you are better off when you start in on the build phases of your program than if you had just done straight aerobic training. So that's just to kind of start there and, and, and answer the question, you know, um, it's good to still have a little bit of high intensity um, work in there. Is it optimal? There's probably, you know, if at eight to 10 hours a week, you could probably get away with a lot of different training plans. If I'm, if I'm honest, you could do, you could probably be doing sweet spot training and, and still get away with it. But, um, you know, you, you would, if you're stressed, you would run a little bit more of the risk of, of kind of going towards that overtraining, but you know, a lot of people can still handle that too. So, um, at those lower training volumes, like eight to 10 hours a week, 
probably get away with almost anything. Where 80-20 really comes into, into play is at higher training volumes. When you start moving towards the um, you know, 15 hours a week plus, and you're still doing too much high intensity work, you're going to definitely eventually feel that. And that's where, um, you know, you're going to start to potentially have too much stress overall. When we do high intensity work, we get very, very stressed. So if you, if you're continuing on with, um, with too much sweet spot, too much threshold, too much hit, um, you're going to, and, and then add time onto that, which, which is training volume, then uh, eventually you, you get kind of run down. So um, the, uh, the 80, 20 formula that was started by Steven Seiler. I was actually at the first presentation that he ever gave at that, that at uh, ACSM in Seattle back in 1999. That's how old I am folks. And um, I remember him talking about, uh, you know, this in his Texan drawl, how he went from Texas over to Norway and in here, you know, when he was in the U S he was, you know, it was all about the no pain, no gain philosophy. But then when we went over to Norway, um, he said, no, this is not the way the, uh, the elite cross country skiers that were winning gold medals was doing it. He was observing them. It's like, no, the coaches were not doing it that way. They were not going threshold all the time. They were doing their training easy, steady, the majority of it. And only the key sessions were done quality. But um, by doing it that in that model, you spare your, you spare yourself so that the hard sessions can you can just rip the legs off yourself when uh, when you when you kind of go and, and and rip into it and you get a lot more bang for buck so it's a tends to be the better road to Rome. Sorry, long winded answer there. And I think um, um, speaking to the Nordic model, it's not just Norwegian; it's Nordic. Because um, I was a cross country skier. Like long, long time ago. Yes, you and were. That's what, that's what we did. We during summertime, um, which was space training, mm. we would go Nordic walking. So we're walking with with our ski poles that are a little bit shorter, and uphill we would walk. And then once we crest the uphill, we start running. So we would run on the flats, and then uphill we would walk to keep the heart rate low. I love it. Yeah, it so was, there. You go. But it takes it takes some discipline, though, <laughs> which I wasn't that good at. I tended to go into the zone three trap. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But so many people find that right, and even when they're like the classic example is people coming into Athletica and they perform the math test, and they're just mm. they're like, I can't do it. I can't do it this low. It's just my body doesn't work that way. Well, you you need to slow down even further, right? That's what mm-hmm. Phil Maftone would say. He said, "Well, you actually just need to walk." Then, like you were saying, yeah. sort of saying, like if you want to, if you want this to work, um, you've got to kind of keep that stress really low, and um, to perform that way, and your body will adapt, and it, you won't be walking forever, right? Eventually, eventually, you'll start to be able to move faster at those lower exercise intensities, and because fat metabolism will take the place of the carb burning stuff that you're currently doing. That's why your heart rate's so, so high. Mm-hmm. And I, I would like to echo a little bit about the math tests because a lot of people are asking, what's the point of these math tests? And the point is to look at your progress over time. Like if you commit to Athletica uh, program, you start with the test week. Um, take a note of your math 
tests, if you're doing it running, what is the, the pace over those five case or eight case, whichever version of math test you're doing, and then retest over time. And you can see if, you, if your, you know, zone two um, work has been done slow enough, you know, easy enough, because you'll be, you'll be running a lot faster at that same intensity. That's yes. my experience. Totally. And same with the power outputs as well on the bike. Mm, like yeah. you'll see, you can see the same thing, right? And this is that math power is that, that's typically kind of top of top of zone two, bottom of zone three. That's typically where we're trying to kind of pinpoint, right? But uh, Ironman pace, right? So any anyone out there that's gunning for an Ironman or a half Ironman, it's like, you know, really helps to have a, you know, working on your, your ability at that, that math power. So Mariana... How do you think and how do you as a coach suggest to athletes to practically implement this 80-20 model into their training schedules, especially if it's a well-rounded health-based training plan that includes strength training, cross-training, recovery, and yoga? Like if you're in a low volume, uh, keep it simple. Like if you're training 10 sessions per week, one or two could be high intensity and then you add the strength it doesn't that don't overcomplicate things. It doesn't have to be that complicated. Like, of course, you could go into a rabbit hole and start, you know, counting minutes and you know, making sure that you're doing eighty twenty. But um, it doesn't have to be that complicated. So four, four or five, eight of ten sessions in general are easy kind of uh, endurance sessions. Yeah. Okay. Like if you're doing 10, do one VO2 max, do one like around threshold strength training. That leaves you seven easier sessions. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And I, I mean, if you're a triathlete and you're doing those two, right, you might want, um, you know, a high intensity running session. You might want a high intensity bike bike session. Mm. Yeah. And then again, we're talking kind of the, the, the base phase as well here too, right? So. Yeah, and space space them out in the week as well, so you feel kind of kind of recovered. Or if you if you, I mean, there's this whole thing called the priming effect too, right? So you can actually have them back to back as well. And that might that might suit you, suit you, but yeah, good good to get one or two in the week for sure. Um, yeah. So I've been doing strength followed by VO2 max bike sessions, and those been mm. really good for me. But I'm used to strength training. Some yep. might feel that their legs are sapped. If they do strength before bike, um, so they might want to, you know, switch over, do the bike first and then do the strength after. Yeah. And that's, we mentioned that in the Aaron Carson strength training podcast as well. Um, You know, in her experience, she tends to find that um, that priming effect is best. So it's like, just like Mariana said, so it'd be like a morning session might be a, you know, a, a weight session or, or a high intensity session. And then the, the afternoon session is also high intensity, but it's, um, and it would be the alternate one. And um, yeah, so inexperienced athletes, that tends to be the, uh, a really nice formula. we we showed that in um, Jess Bush's PhD study as well on the, New Zealand elite kayak team where we actually, we looked at what was the better output for these elite, elite uh, kayakers the, on the Olympic program. And um, just like Mariana said, um, 
they were yeah they were they they had better power outputs on the kayak ergometer when they did their strength training in the morning versus when they did it the next day um so the next day they felt they kind of felt flat after the um after the sleep for whatever reason there was like yeah they, they were still kind of in that sleep inertia it was like they couldn't get couldn't get g'd up for it as much as if it was just on the same day I think the other thing with the strength training, you know, I tend to prescribe, you know, hard days and easy days. So if I'm going, if there's going to be uh, intervals on a day, that's a day that will also do strength training, typically, not always, simply to keep a a hard day hard. Um, Mm -hmm. And yesterday I tried, I, after listening to the strength training podcast with Aaron Carson, um, I tried the priming, I, I effect, but right away I did my intervals and then right away went to the gym. That did not work. (laughs) (laughs) I I was tired. And although, you know, we're obviously not trained to be bodybuilders, the the key is to develop that sense of, of fatigue. And that's what we're trying to do in the gym is, is um, strengthen the muscles by building additional fatigue, um, and, and, and move in different directions so that we are building full body strength. Um, I'm also reading right now, um, Alan Cousins, new book, and he talks a lot about how to monitor the, um, endurance sessions and the, the 80% of the majority of what, and he talks about 60 to 75% of your max heart rate is kind of your zone for endurance how how would you recommend both of you um, athletes monitor their intensity to make sure that they're still staying in these in the right zones? Well, I think I think Athletica does a pretty good job of that, where these zones are calibrated as best we can. We're going to get better with that. We're working on a new innovation right now around the power profiling and the and the pace profiling. Um, that is going to make the the zone calibrations even more individual. Uh, at the moment, when you use p- programs like Training Peaks and others, and even Athletica today, as we speak, we just use um, really what would be called a coefficient number around the the threshold. You know, so it's just kind of you know the ballpark is that you know. Uh, zone two is, you know, 0.8315 of zone four, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Right. And the reality is, is that it's just, it's, it's an individualized coefficient that probably relates to things like your individualized, um, fiber types, you know, your, how resilient those muscles are, your durability in them, um, your anaerobic power and speed reserve, how much fast twitch muscle fibers that you have. And, Again, we were just speaking offline about the genius developers that we have at Athletica. Well, they've figured out a way where we can actually use that power and and pace profile to to get even closer to what your speed, um, your your zones should be on for for both pace and heart rate. So watch out for that kind of coming. Um, And yeah, but that's, yeah, I hope I answered your question there, Paul. Uh, heart rate, power, pace, what's the best ways of, of monitoring, especially for zone two? Well, uh, I mean, 
Heart rate for, yeah, for sure. Heart rate. Like you, that's the best one, right? So it's like, go at your heart rate for zone two. And we, this, this is, this is the smart coach option on Athletica. So uh, if you go to your settings and you'll have, you'll be able to actually push your workout uh, prescription to your Garmin unit. If you happen to be using Garmin, which most are, and you'll actually get that pace prescribed in zone two via, if you use the smart coach, you'll use heart rate. It, it'll, it'll give you the heart rate range that you should be at. And that's best practice because, um, you know, if you are, say the heat is out, it's really hot, or say you're at altitude, or say you're fatigued, who knows what it's, uh, issue is going to cause you to slow down, then you know, your, your cardiovascular system connected to your nervous system is just going to downregulate the pace or the power. And that's good because then we get the stress right by doing that. So, so yeah, so go at your, go at your heart rate for zone two training is best practice. If you are getting a prescription to hold this pace or hold this power, um, what's going to happen, right? You can imagine you're, if you're not, if you're off on the day or the prescription's wrong, you're going to get cardiac drift and that rise in heart rate, which is called is termed in exercise physiology cardiac drift. It's an indicator that the stress is going out of whack and you're drifting up into zone three, which is classic problem for um, you know why we run into endurance training, just like drifting into mid zone. I did it all my training life, so don't do what I did, and don't do what Mariana did. I see her giggling here as well because she knows better as well now too. Right, MJ? Totally, yeah. Um, couple of things that you can use together with your heart rate and your feel is if you're able to nose breathe, because if you if you're nose breathing. You can't really go too hard because it becomes impossible to nose breathe, especially, mm-hmm. well, at least for me. It took a while to learn how to nose breathe while I'm running easy, uh, but it's possible to learn. And then chatting full sentences. This why a slower tra- running partner is so good to have because so that you can, you know, it keeps you in that zone too. Uh, and then, you know, the feel, just ask yourself how if i was to rate how i'm going right now is it two within two three maybe four at the end out of 10 like could i keep going for like six hours at this effort that's totally indicator that you're doing it slow enough or easy enough yeah awesome advice coach I always tell my athletes they can talk about anything with somebody except for politics or religion. And those two things might get a little, <laughs> they might get a little, uh, a little too heated for zone two. Don't, so don't go there. Don't, go, don't there. go there. No, no. Um, what are some of the specific benefits that athletes could expect from an 80, 20 kind of model, uh, such as improved endurance or faster recovery or reduced, reduced risk of injury? What are some benefits that might happen? Yeah, I think you nailed you nailed them, Paul. Um, so yeah, you are working on your, you know, you know, uh, endurance, your resiliency, your and yeah, you're you're building the slow twitch muscle fiber resiliency. You're b- 
building your ability to burn fat as a fuel, which we know is far more efficient um, than the alternate burning uh, carbohydrates with larger motor units. And yeah, the higher we can kind of get that level, the more everything is just easy. And um, just to kind of go into the metabolic machine, when you look at the production, what, what actually happens as a byproduct of a burning of fat versus a burning of sugar. When you burn sugar, the byproduct is um, more of a blood lactic uh, response, um, pyruvate to lactate, including hydrogen ions. So you become like more of an acidic kind of medium versus burning of fat. The only byproduct that you get from the burning of, of, uh, of fat, like a pyruvic acid, is water and carbon dioxide you just easily breathe out the carbon dioxide water just goes back into the into the system so it's it's like this uh you know um yeah just energy efficiency like you're just such an efficient human being and you you won't be out of breath uh you'll be in homeostasis and and yeah and it's like all those all those various different things so you want that level as as, as high as you can kind of kind of go because just it's your then your all day pace is easy and if you want to turn on the gas later then then you can do that you can always kind of dip back into that sugar burning system but you're sparing it only for the end when you need the punch when you need to drive the throttle forward but yeah i used to do my long rides and sing this silly song about building mitochondria <laughs> and uh how does it go I, sing it out i was gonna say you've got it come on it now. give it to us <laughs> no i can't do that I can't oh come on <laughs> I'll, I'll sing i'll sing it if we ever ride together then i'll sing it um <laughs> but uh so zone two builds mitochondria right and then a higher intensity makes the mitochondria work more efficiently is this there is this physiologically correct way to think of it well i'm I'm not actually sure um when i think from a cell signaling process you know if i go into my little you know test tube world um there's kind of different signals um you know uh calcium calmodulin kinase is in the slow twitch long long duration area and then the high intensity stuff is this ampk signal and they all meet in the middle and cause the same they connect and then there's this pgc1 alpha (laughs) signal that builds the mitochondria and that's kind of works you can kind of get the best you can get you can hit the mitochondria button from either side you can hit it from the calcium long distance stuff or you can hit it from the amp ampk high intensity stuff right if you know that I, know, I think mm-hmm. you know which um, schematic I'm kind of talking yeah. about, Mariana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. so, yeah, you, I, I, I don't really know is if there's an efficiency versus a number kind of thing in mind. I think they all kind of work towards building that mitochondria at the end of the day. But one does it kind of uh, with low stress, and the other one does it with high stress, and both kind of both roads um, emerge in the uh, mm-hmm. merged towards the middle to to give that same output. But you're always balancing that ability to adapt the system and build the mitochondria with the ability to keep a keep your stress low. Because remember, it's the it's the consistency of that signaling that you want to hit. Mm-hmm. And if you're 
doing too much of the AMPK high intensity stuff, then you might be putting your putting yourself at risk of not of missing tomorrow's session because you haven't slept well and you don't feel good and you whatever you you become run down it uh, you know lowers your immune immune response all these various different things who knows what it is injury mm-hmm. um, lots of ways that that it can de- derail us so that's why yeah that's why low intent that's why 80% is 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 down around that um that low intensity stuff i find like when i i'm on a build phase now a specific phase i have three hard sessions row a row like thursdays i'm pretty beat because i've had uh, VO2 max on Wednesdays, and then I have hard swim Thursday. I think there's a running heat session, and I'm absolutely just knackered <laughs> after that. So uh, Fridays need to be easy for me. Um, but if I weren't getting better at listening to my body signals, I would definitely uh, overreach or plateau and i think one of the benefits of 80 20 is that you avoid that pesky plateau like you feel like you're doing everything you're doing all that heat sessions you know like and you're not getting any better um and that speaks to the you know um, parasympathetic stimulation that zone two is so good at yeah, and you know, Mariana, you're you're um you're causing me to reflect nicely on the conference that I just gave, uh, the presentation I just gave at Endurance Exchange, and it, the topic was, it wasn't exactly this topic, but it was highly related. It was the topic of heart rate variability. Now, if you're following Athletica, you'll notice that we just released this feature um, of heart rate variability. If you're using the Garmin system, we'll be adding other heart rate variability markers in the future. But for now, if you look on your Athletica profile, you can actually go in uh, to what's called your recovery profile. So it's in your charts. Look in your charts, go down, look at recovery profile, and you can see there your, you know, your um, heart rate variability. If you're measuring, if, you're, if your Garmin is, be, is being worn in the evenings and you've got at least 60 days of capture, you have your heart rate variability in the top panel, You'll, um, you'll have your heart rate and your sleep in the bottom panel. So this is giving insight into your central nervous system, your autonomic nervous system, your automatic nervous system. And this is where we have both the sympathetic system, uh, fight or flight, and we have the parasympathetic system, rest and digest, right? And ultimately, you, if you are um, adapting, you'll, you should be seeing either plateaus or a rise in that heart rate variability number, the seven-day rolling average, it should start to be pushing upwards on your chart. That's a sign that you are adapting to the to the stress. If it's not, if it starts going down in towards negative adaptation, and if the seven-day dark blue line rolling average starts going down below your normal value, that's usually an indicator that you've probably got too much high-intensity work, too much stress in your life, um, this is the cool thing about heart rate variability. It doesn't care what kind of stress that you're mm-hmm. getting, whether it's exercise stress or life stress, psychological stress, heat, altitude, um, you you know, 
com- <laughs> battles with your spouse. It just doesn't really care, right? It's like looking at the whole big picture of what your central nervous system is is interpreting, and it will respond accordingly. All right, and this is measure. It's measured as an overnight response. I'm sure we'll do a whole this one all over again on one of the episodes because it's an important topic, um, and uh, and there's some cool stuffs coming. But it really relates to the eighty twenty principle. That's why we have eighty twenty out there because we know that. If, if we're doing 80-20, it tends to be associated with this favorable heart rate variability response. HRV is a response to the training load. 80-20 is the load itself. So you're getting that 80-20 load training stress. And then the response to that stress, you can see in your heart rate variability number. And now you can see that on Athletica to see how you're tracking. So get it, start to become familiar with that new chart that we've just added literally days ago as we're recording and, um, and consider how that is functioning around the, the load that's being prescribed and then start to add that to your tool belt as either a coach or athlete to know whether, you know, you should sort of move things around or not. You know, are there any downsides to 80-20? Uh, anything that athletes should be aware of in terms of possible negative effects? I wouldn't say it's an, any any negative ones. The only one that first kind of comes to mind, Paul, is that sometimes uh, when we're doing um, Ironman or half Ironman, 70.3s or fulls, you tend to want to switch more towards a pyramidal approach, mm-hmm. which is, is called... And this is really when you start moving more towards like a 70-30 kind of approach where um, a little bit more high intensity and specifically the zone three work really starts kind of coming up as you work towards more of the the key races because that's when specific weekend training kind of comes in, especially we see this on Athletica, right? Where either zone 3A or zone 3B pieces really start becoming important for those weekend sessions to prepare you for your upcoming event uh, in both the, the both the running and the and the cycling, I think um, what Dr. Seiler like in the beginning we mentioned that it wasn't meant to be like the whole method wasn't meant to be like eighty twenty, and you should always stick to the eighty. Like there's a, I'm sure Paul, you're aware of the study by Dr. Ranestad where they studied the most winning female cross-country skier ever. And her her training time was like 91% low intensity. But it doesn't look like that over like a whole training year. It might look like 95% in the base season and then it moves towards the 80 or even lower towards, you know, uh, racing season where the volume goes down and intensity goes up. So I think one of the mistakes that people do is that they always have to hit the 80-20 and they are going into the rabbit hole and making sure that they do, do 80% low and then 20% that high. Yep, so, I, I couldn't agree more, Mariana. And uh, uh, I actually can, I reflect going to call out one of my buddies because uh, Dan, so many of you know that Dan Plews and I are, are good mates. And we also had another good mate that we were training with at the time, Rod, Rod Siegel. 
and uh i'm sure they won't mind me me sharing this but it's like we were out kind of training and rod was rod was kind of training at these lower exercise intensities but you know very into his sports science as we all are but he was just so into the whole 80 20 thing that at at low training volumes that he really didn't we don't believe that he really got to where he he could have because he just kind of you know he um sometimes you just have to, you do have to train a little bit hard kind of thing. You do have to kind of go out of that. So don't be so wound up in these, just these 80, 20 numbers. Uh, so anal retentive that you kind of like, you're not a, like that you're afraid to kind of go 70, 30 or even 60, 40, if it's just even for a short while, like it's just, um, yeah, you're, you're splitting hairs kind of thing. Like go with the flow a little bit more. These are general rules and they're more, they're better sort of, um, you know, hindsight rules where it's like you, you, you reflect over it, you know, you, you, cause you use the, use the tools and the monitoring process to kind of say, oh, that was, that went really well. That went not so good, whatever it is. Right. But just reflect on it. That's why the data is there. And then, um, you know, um, but, but don't, don't go crazy with it. I think it's better to be more, more, more loose and, and, uh, and well-rounded around the whole approach. Be a rebel sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's a model, not a rule. 100%. Nice. Yeah. So what advice would, would we want to give someone who is just starting out? Would they want to do an 80-20? Is that a good guideline for them when they're setting up their training programs? Um, so we're talking about somebody who's either off the couch or just getting started with more structured training. Yeah, context everything, um, but I think generally you're going to start start easy. So we want to walk before we run, right? Like just yeah, um, even just get just getting moving is is the first goal, right? Just um, and we do have some you know some low intensity run programs. Say for example, if you're starting out on the 5K, these are in the base base period. We're we're just running. We're just building up our uh, run training volume. So train, train to train to train kind of thing is, is the whole, whole philosophy. And then once you've done a couple, you know, a few weeks, well, maybe you've got now, maybe now you want to experience, um, a little bit of exercise intensity and just do a little bit to sort of start there. Um, so it's, I think you're, if you're just getting off the couch, um, we're slow to build up to that 80-20 rule. We want to want to just just work on the low intensity sort of stuff first and get the motor patterns moving, the resiliency in the muscles. Don't want to be injury. Uh, we don't want to have any injuries. Want to be injury free. Health is is first, right? So get there sort of slowly, um, and then once you're once you're going and once you're moving after you know uh, three to three to four or five weeks, then time to time to play around with the intensity a bit more. So our original question was, is the 80-20 the right training method for the preseason? And we're pretty much saying that, you know, 80-20 is, you know, doing 80% of our training in zone one and zone two and 20 and more challenging zones seems to be an effective guideline, guideline, guideline to organize our training for um, higher volumes, especially for lower volumes. Other models can work too. Um, we've also realized that heart rate monitors and monitoring your heart rate is really the best way of getting the, the, uh, zone two training, right. To get our stress, right. Nose breathing is also a really good tool to stay in that, um, zone two. And the third thing that 
third way of answering this question is that doing tempo or sweet spot is not wrong in an 80-20 model. In fact, we need that kind of training um, for our race prep. It simply adds more stress to our system that we need to make sure we're recovering for. We need to consistently signal that those adaptations are happening. And the most important workout is tomorrow's workout. That is all for this week. Thank you for listening and join us next week when we dig into the recent popularity of this zone two training that we're talking about, but more specifically, why it's so effective in building health and fitness. For Mariana Rakai, Dr. Paul Larson, I'm Paul Warlowski, and this has been the Athletes Compass Podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Athletes Compass Podcast, your guiding light through the complex world of training for your endurance sport. For a deeper dive into the science, listen to our companion podcast, the Training Science Podcast, and check out the AI adaptive training platform, athletica.ai. Thanks.